Morning. Good to see all of you. Happy Advent season. One more week till Christmas. Can you believe it? It's crazy. I think Shields opens at 10 o'clock. So ladies, you, can, uh, you still got time to run out for your husbands because I know you're the ones lacking here and uh, you pick up the slack. So um, just want to introduce myself, uh, maybe a new face. Uh, my name is Ryan Farr. Um, I, my family and I have been attending Windsor Community Church for about the last six years, a little more. My wife, Linda, who's homesick and probably watching online. Hey, babe, love you. Um, hope you feel better. Um, yeah, we've been, we've been attending Windsor Community Church. We've called this church our home, and we've loved this, this church body dearly. I had an opportunity to go through Pastors and Leadership Institute, graduated back in 2020 with several men you know, um, Tyler Bond, Ben Alexander, uh, Chad Barlow, David Morgan, among other men in the Crossway Network. Um, and that's just, if you haven't heard of PLI, Pastors and Leadership Institute, it's just how we train men um, for maybe future church plants or pastoring in a Crossway church, um, just leaders, establishing leaders in the network. And so I was grateful for that opportunity and then grateful just for the opportunity this morning to open God's word with all of you. We're gonna continue our Advent series this morning on the testimonies of the coming King as we look at Simeon's testimony in Luke chapter two, as Colton read for us just a moment ago. But before we dive in, let's pray. Uh, Father God, we God, we're humbly come before you this morning. God is broken people. Uh, God, wherever we might be this morning individually, God is broken, God is hurting, uh, God going through trial, God, or as uh, maybe on a mountaintop and joyful. Uh, God, just so looking forward to next Sunday and being with family and the celebration that ensues. And God, we, God, you, we know and acknowledge that you know where we are this morning. God, that your word will meet us right there. And God, that no matter where we are, God, that your word has something for us. And God, would you just open our hearts? God, open our ears to receive it. God, as you illuminate your word, God, would you be the focus of this morning's message? God, make me small so that you would be made great. We love you and we praise you in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So as some of you know, uh, my dad passed away back in October. <clears throat> and I'm going to try to do this without bawling my eyes out. That Chad, I think I should have learned my lesson from Chad a couple weeks ago, right? He said, don't ever start a sermon by bawling your eyes out because then you're going to play catch up the rest of the time. I didn't learn my lesson. Um, so I'll try, I'll try my best to do that. Uh, after two weeks in the ICU at MCR, my wife and my mom and my sister spent hours and hours at his bedside for two weeks. And you know, I couldn't wait. <laughs> I couldn't wait in those two weeks for it to be over. I couldn't wait for answers from the doctor. I couldn't wait for my dad to start breathing on his own. It was an emotional roller coaster, and I couldn't wait for that to end. I couldn't wait to understand what the future was going to look like for my dad or for my mom. I couldn't wait for some normalcy. And the Lord was so incredibly kind <clears throat> during those two weeks and the weeks that followed, um, despite those, um, those desires and despite so much impatience. Um, as we got towards the end of two weeks, the doctors started preparing us to make some hard decisions and hopefully some decisions I will never have to make again. And they gave us a couple options. <clears throat> we could do a tracheotomy for my dad to keep him breathing, to give him some prolonged assistance, or we could discontinue care. 
and he'd probably die within a couple of days. And I remember it was a Wednesday evening, October 5th, drove over to the hospital after work. And we sat in a meeting room in the hospital with my family, with the doctor there, kind of hearing a little bit about what our options were and the state of my dad, which had actually been improving a little bit. And I remember leading my family through this decision, hearing what they could do, hearing what, and thinking about maybe what my dad would want done, thinking about what the future would look like and, and, and the reality of his life after this, what that would look like, and trying to think about what we should do. The doctor gave us a, a night to sleep on it. And I remember driving home and that evening and the next morning, I can't believe I even worked the next morning. I remember pleading with God for a sign. God, give me something. Give me something to know what the right decision is. I'm incapable. I'm incapable of making this decision. Give me something. Give me somebody. Give me something to know what to do. And while we leaned in maybe a certain direction based on what we saw in the moment, we released that decision to him. And so for the next 18 hours, we waited. And we waited expectantly. I'd, you know, I'd never experienced waiting like this before. This expectant waiting, I'd never, I'd just never experienced it. And we spent time meditating on the truth that God was good and that what he had for us and my family was for our good and for his glory. We just meditated on that. The next morning, as my mom and my, my wife went into the hospital and they met with doctors and nurses, he was on dialysis. They had a doctor and a nurse just speak so clearly into what the future would hold for my dad, whichever avenue we went down. So much clarity in what that would look like. And they helped us piece together who my dad was and what kind of care he would take of himself and, and what that would look like. And through those conversations, God used these people to just speak truth and to speak um, um, wisdom into decision and gave us so much of a sign that made it really clear what the decision was. And God was faithful in that moment to provide us peace. And so later that evening, they pulled the tube out of my dad's throat and we discontinued care. And within two hours, my dad passed away when the doctors and the nurses said it would be a couple days. The Lord was so kind in answering our plea for a sign and giving us confirmation that we could rest in his will. I recognize that the Lord doesn't always answer the pleas of his children so immediately. Often he leaves things unclear, seeking for us to continue expectantly waiting for his loving and comforting and sovereign hand to reveal his will. You know, I hesitated even sharing this example uh, this morning because far more often in my life, am I impatient or am I absent-minded in my waiting? But I can give testimony to God's salvation being worked out in my life as evidenced by his grace and love and tender mercy and kindness that he has shown me over the last three months. Expectantly waiting on the Lord was a sweet reliance on the God who delivered us from death 
through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. This is just one example in my life. Many more examples would show you that, I'm off, that I often wait impatiently with no consideration of what God's will might be or that I just float through life, no thought at all on what my heart is waiting for. So I have a couple simple questions for us to think about this morning. What are you waiting for? And how are you waiting? What are you waiting for? And how are you waiting? Our human hearts are always waiting for something, often impatiently waiting for worldly things or absent-mindedly waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. Oh, how many times my heart has waited for the next thing. Maybe you can relate. Waiting for the next raise, the next house, the next child, the next job. Waiting for Christmas, the gifts, the food, the tradition, the joy. You find yourself saying, I just can't wait for dot, dot, dot. It's not the words, I can't wait, that are harmful. Excitement and anticipation, those are good things. Those are emotions that God created within us. But anxiety and taking things into our own hands because we're not uh, getting what our hearts desire when we want it, that shows our faithlessness. Maybe your heart is content. Maybe you're not impatiently waiting for anything. The Lord has you in a place where it's smooth sailing. Life is kind of just humming along. Things are good. Busy, but good. Job is good. Bank account's healthy. Kids are alive. You're plugged into good community. But might you be absent-mindedly waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises? Just waiting for the next thing to happen. Not looking forward in any kind of anticipation. We've spent the last few weeks of Advent hearing the testimonies of the coming king from the Lord in Isaiah's prophecy from Mary and from Zechariah, both before Jesus' birth. Last week, Chad mentioned uh, and reminded us that we can be hopeful because God is faithful. And that song reminded us of that this morning. We can be hopeful because God is faithful. So as we enter our last week of this Advent season, anticipating and celebrating the Savior's coming, I think what you'll notice this morning is maybe a non-traditional Advent passage. In Simeon's testimony of the coming king, Jesus had already come. Often and rightfully so, this time of year is spent remembering Christ's birth. God sending his son, being born of a virgin in a humble state to live among men. Emmanuel, God with us. And I think the purpose behind the series, and you've heard it the past few weeks, is not that it's only that Jesus came. It's what he came to do. There's so much more to the story than the birth of a baby. That part of the story is certainly worth praising God about. But what we see in the testimonies of Mary and Zechariah and Simeon is that this baby was born for a purpose, to live a perfect life, to die a painful death and to rise again on the third day, all to fulfill a very old promise, one from the garden. After sin first entered the world through the lie of the serpent and the eating of the fruit, the Lord said to the serpent, Satan, in Genesis 3, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head 
and you shall bruise his heel. The Lord's intent, since sin entered the world through one man, was to send a serpent crusher, to redeem his people back to himself, to defeat sin and bring them back into right relationship with him. That is why Jesus came, to fulfill that promise. And he would do so through another promise to Abraham. We also need to recognize the purpose of this testimony in the context of Luke. If we go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 4, Luke reveals the reason why he's writing this testimony of the birth, life, and death of Jesus. It says, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. This testimony today and the purpose of Mary and Zachariah's testimonies is to bring certainty of what happened, to testify to the truth. Think about the purpose of a testimony in a trial, right? A witness is brought to the stand. They're, they're brought to the stand to explain to the jury, jury what he or she saw. From their perspective, what happened? What was the setting? What led up to the moment? What was the circumstances? What emotion filled the people? What seemed to be the motive? And the purpose of the testimony is to testify to the truth. The purpose of these testimonies in Luke is to testify to the truth, the truth that Jesus was born and the truth of what he was born to. Simeon's testimony brings certainty to who Jesus was and what he came to do. Jesus came as a light for revelation to all people. We see that in verse 32, to put our waiting hearts to rest. The promise that he will come again gives us something to wait for expectantly. So with the time we have this morning, we're gonna investigate the evidence, the testimony and the prophecy in Simeon's case for proclaiming the truth of Jesus' coming. His testimony laid witness to the newborn king who brought the long-awaited salvation to Israel and the Gentiles. Because Jesus came for the salvation of the world, our hearts can wait expectantly. And we're gonna see this through three points in our text this morning. We can wait expectantly in faith and obedience. We'll see that in verses 22 through 28. We can wait expectantly because he is a light to the Gentiles, verses 29 through 33. And we can wait expectantly because he will reveal hearts, verses 34 through 35. We can wait expectantly because we, have, we can have faith in obedience, because he's a light to the Gentiles, and because he will reveal hearts. Point number one this morning. Hmm. I'm not sure I understand. Apparently I said Siri, and I better not say it even any louder. I'm on do not disturb. Why is she answering? Um, point number one. We can wait expectantly in faith and obedience, starting in verses 22 through 24, if you read with me in your Bible. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Jesus' earthly parents, a humble pair, barely able to provide the sacrifice required for purification after childbirth, give us our first exhibit, and evidence to waiting expectantly in faith and obedience. Mary and Joseph, 
had faith in a promise and obedience out of devotion as they witnessed the fulfillment of that promise through the baby that they held as they walked into the temple in Jerusalem. And after Jesus was born and placed in an animal's feeding trough, visited by a multitude of angels and then by some shepherds, Jesus needed to be circumcised. I found this on the web. Okay, we're going um, to have some issues here. We'll just take that off. Um, I don't know what she found on the web. Maybe some shepherds. I don't, who knows? <laughs> you can see the account of Jesus' circumcision right before our passage today in verse 21. This was a requirement of God's covenant with his people Israel. Eight days after birth, the baby boy was to be circumcised as a sign of God's everlasting covenant. And you can go perusing the first five books of the Bible for the many laws that God gave to his people as part of his covenantal relationship with them. But I'm just going to set the stage quickly, uh, quickly here for you. There was a law, too, for Mary's purification. Forty days after giving birth, the woman was to bring a burnt offering and a sin offering to the priest to make atonement before the Lord. The blood from childbirth made Mary unclean requiring her purification before she could enter back into and interact in society. So the new parents, they made this eight-mile journey from Jeru- uh, to Jerusalem, from Bethlehem, to offer the sacrifices for Mary- Mary's purification. Now, there was another requirement of the law they needed to take care of while there. Most of us probably know the story, right? But when God's people were held captive in Egypt by Pharaoh... The Lord's rescue plan for them included 10 plagues, the last of which took the lives of all the firstborn in Egypt, human and livestock alike. But God spared the firstborn of the families of Israel who spread the blood of the sacrificial lamb on their doorposts. And in memory of this deliverance of the firstborn, the Lord's covenant with his people included a requirement to consecrate all the firstborn to the Lord. See that in Exodus chapter 13 presenting the child and dedicating him to the Lord through the sacrifice of a lamb. The firstborn child had to be redeemed by the sacrifice of another. Now, these things may have been required, but why did Mary and Joseph follow through? Weren't they holding the newborn king, the savior of the world? Certainly, they'd be exempt from making that trek from Bethlehem to Jerusalem and sacrifice what little they had to the God who even sent this baby to begin with. There's got to be an exemption for that, right? These are the thoughts anyway that probably would have run through my head had I been in their situation. But that's not how they responded. Just 10 months earlier, Mary had been visited by an angel of the Lord who told her that she would conceive and bear a son. And as it says in Luke chapter 1, verses 32 through 33, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. This message from the angel Gabriel was rooted in the promise made to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that we refer to as the Davidic covenant. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Mary and Joseph very likely knew this promise. But until the angel appeared to Mary, she had no idea how God was going to establish his kingdom. Just that he would. 
that is tremendous faith in the promise. Incredible faith by Mary. And then when Mary was told that she would bear the answer to the promise in her womb, she responded in faith, as we saw in her Magnificat that Jake preached through a couple of weeks ago. Mary and Joseph had deep faith and obedience. Not being able to afford the sacrifice that the law required, a lamb and a turtle dove, they fell under the provision of the law for the impoverished, bringing instead a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. They didn't look for a way out, um, out of obedience that was convenient for them. They looked at obedience as a privilege to obey because Jesus was sent through them for the salvation of the world. They obeyed because they had faith in a promise and they wanted to obey out of devotion. They desired to honor the Lord by presenting themselves clean and dedicating the firstborn. They didn't claim exemption because they had the savior of the world. Bringing everything they had, they waited expectantly in faith and obedience for the Lord to deliver on his promises made long before them. While the focus of today's passage is not on the continued testimony of Mary from a couple weeks ago, it's worth calling out the pattern of faith and obedience that her and Joseph exhibited as they brought Jesus to the temple. And it paves the way well for exhibit B. Enter Simeon, the man of the hour, a man we know little about other than what is stated here in Luke 2. And similarly to Mary and Joseph, Simeon gives evidence to waiting expectantly in faith and obedience. Let's read verses 25 through 28. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Simeon, too, had faith in a promise, and he had obedience out of devotion as he witnessed fulfillment of that promise through the baby that he was now holding. From these verses, we can actually get to know Simeon fairly well. He likely lived in Jerusalem. He was likely a Jew, familiar with the stories passed down from generation to generation about the faithfulness of God and his promises made to his people. He was also probably well in tune with the fact that Israel past and Israel present had a hard time waiting. We know that Simeon was a righteous and devout man, even further evidenced by his presence in the temple, which he probably visited frequently as he waited in faith. He conformed to God's expectations and lived in a right relationship with him. He was righteous. He feared God and showed reverence for God. He was devout. Simeon took God's promises seriously and he had faith. We also know that the Holy Spirit was upon him as it says in verse 25. The Spirit empowered Simeon to live in a way that was pleasing to the Lord and to be able to wait well. But what was he waiting for? It says here that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Sometimes in English, when we hear the word consolation, we think second place, like a consolation prize. Like you didn't make it to the, to the playoffs in your fantasy football league and you're in the consolation bracket. That's terrible. Fantasy season's over, right? But the root word 
is actually console. Consoling is something we do to bring comfort to people after a loss or something hard in their life. And the Hebrew word here is, is also actually closely related to the word for compassion. And in this case, Simeon was waiting for the comfort that would relieve Israel of her grief and pain. God had been silent for 400 years and Israel was controlled by empire after empire and suffering persistent opposition from their neighbors. God had promised consolation for Israel and renewed hope. Isaiah prophesied this hope that was fulfilled in Isaiah 25, 9. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. They were desperate for God's promise of the coming Messiah to come true. They couldn't wait. Israel had a past littered with impatience. Waiting was not their strong suit. They had been reminded of God's promise to Abraham that was reinforced through David and prophesied about repeatedly. And when they couldn't wait any longer, they gave themselves to foreign gods. They made idols of their own and they broke the covenant the Lord had made with them. Russ Ramsey, author of a great Advent devotional that you can buy out in our bookstore. I think we have a few copies out there. It's called The Advent of the Lamb of God, puts it this way, and I'm just gonna paraphrase. They disobediently and impatiently abandoned waiting, talking about Israel, eliminating the need for faith, and they chased after anything that sparkled with irresistible brilliance. There was no relationship with these foreign gods, just a series of transactions. It gave immediate satisfaction to what their hearts desired because they were sick of waiting. We're very much the same, aren't we? Just one little peek in the bag with my name on it under the tree or a little shake of the perfectly wrapped present. I would never do that, by the way. Uh, my wife would, I would not. On a more serious note, you know, maybe we satisfy our impatience in waiting for relief from pain and hurt and trials. Maybe we satisfy it with alcohol or spending sprees or other desires of the flesh. It gives temporary relief when our weary hearts grow impatient of waiting for the Lord to deliver us from whatever we're going through. Every day we spend impatiently waiting is a day spent eroding the trust we can have in the Father, that he will give us all that we need. He will make good on his word. We begin to train our hearts to no longer hope or pray or trust or delight in the giver of all good things. Simeon, on the other hand, in his testimony, had faith in the promised comfort of salvation and he waited expectantly and he waited obediently out of devotion. He didn't just wait absent-mindedly. He anticipated the day would come and he had faith that the Lord would orchestrate it just as he intended from the moment he made the promise. We see another promise that the Lord gave Simeon through the Holy Spirit in verses 26 and 27, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. An aging and devout man filled with the Holy Spirit had revealed to him the special significance of Christ's birth. The timing of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus' arrival at the temple 
and Simeon's path crossing theirs at exactly that moment is God's doing. This was a promise made and executed by the father, revealing the truth of salvation to a man so that he could testify to a promise fulfilled. As we can only imagine, Simeon could likely barely contain himself as he saw the now just over a month old Messiah and held him in his arms, like the Lion King. Simeon's testimony through this expectant waiting is evidence of faith and obedience that brings certainty to the truth that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the one Israel had been waiting for, the rescuer bringing salvation to all. What comes next in Simeon's testimony of praise is an incredible hope for all of the world and the anchor point of our passage today. Point number two, our hearts can wait expectantly because Jesus is a light to the Gentiles. Verses 29 through 33. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. What incredible news. What incredible news Simeon spoke. He rightly associated Jesus with the Lord's salvation of his people. A fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham long ago that Chad brought us back to last week. And the same promise Zechariah referenced in his testimony as he praised God after being mute for nine months. We'll see this in Genesis 12. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in all you, the families of the earth shall be blessed. Starting from his barren wife and seemingly beyond their childbearing years, God had promised Abraham that he would make him a great nation. And that promise was fulfilled in the nation of Israel. God set Israel apart from other nations as his chosen people. And he gave them a land to possess and a law to obey. And what an incredible blessing it was to be the nation that God had chosen for himself to experience his love. But his plan was not to leave the rest of the world hopeless and cut off from experiencing the same love. God also promised Abraham that all nations of the earth would be blessed through him. Abraham's seed would be a blessing to everyone, not just to his chosen people, but to all families of the earth. This was for Israel's glory, that the salvation of the world would come from God's chosen people. Jesus, as testified by Simeon, is the means of this blessing. From Abraham's seed through the line of David, Jesus was born as a blessing for all peoples. And this blessing would save all nations from more than political oppression or religious persecution. It would be a blessing that would save all peoples from their sin, which held the consequence of death and eternal separation from their creator. Simeon sees Jesus for exactly who he is and exactly what he'd been expectantly waiting for. He sees him as the Lord's salvation and he recognizes the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Isaiah prophesied to this very thing in Isaiah 42, six, where it says, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. 
I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. The you here is Israel, and God is promising to keep his covenant with them as his holy people, but that he will use them as a light to the rest of the world. Israel lived in the light of salvation as God's chosen people, a people created for himself, a people he loved deeply despite their unfaithfulness, a people that waited impatiently and absentmindedly. They waited for a promise that God would not miss delivering on. And while Israel lived in light, the Gentiles, everyone else outside of Israel, lived in darkness without the law and without God seen as unrighteous and seemingly with no hope. We see in Ephesians 2, verse 12, remember that you, Gentiles, were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. The Gentiles lived each day in darkness. But in our passage today, Simeon testifies to a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Light breaking into darkness. A new and glorious day has come because Jesus has come. Next Sunday morning, Christmas morning, as the sun begins to just barely crack the darkness of night, those of you with little kids, you're gonna be shaken awake, right? And as the light just starts to creep over the horizon of the Eastern Plains in Colorado, the excitement of what lies ahead on Christmas day is revealed. The light brings anticipation of the incredible things that await, stockings and presents, butterbraid breakfast, Christmas dinner, football, that moment of light breaking the darkness to reveal the joy of Christmas day is like what Simeon is praising God for here. The sun is rising on a new era and so many incredible things await the Gentiles a relationship with their creator, grace upon grace, adoption as sons and daughters into the kingdom of glory. They once were not a people, but now they are his people, as it says in 1 Peter 2. As one commentator put it, salvation was more than fulfillment of Israel's nationalistic hopes. It was a light revealing God and his purposes and ways to all people, Jew and Gentile alike. This promise made to Abraham and fulfilled in Christ is for you and I. Without the extension of God's promise to the Gentiles, most, if not all of us sitting in this room here this morning would be without hope, destined for death, unable to pay the penalty for our sins. But light broke through the darkness and revealed the blessing of salvation to all nations. This was not what people at the time of Jesus's birth expected. We see in verse 33 that Mary and Joseph marveled at what Simeon said. This was good news for the entire world delivered by the baby who had been brought into the world through them. It's crazy and likely so hard to, hard to believe that the wait was over. For us today, we can wait expectantly to experience God's love, mercy, and grace daily because Jesus came and was a light to the Gentiles. And when we were stuck in the darkness of sin without hope, he rescued us. The final point of Simeon's testimony and a prophecy of how people will respond to Jesus' message of salvation. Point number three, we can wait expectantly because he will reveal hearts. Verses 34 and 35. 
And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. A sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. After reveling in the present fulfillment of a promise that Israel had been waiting for for thousands of years, Simeon turns to a foretelling. But this isn't just his opinion on what he thinks will happen because he's lived among these people and he knows how they're gonna react. This is a divine prophecy from the Lord spoken through Simeon by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was for the people then who would experience the life and death of their Messiah. And it's for us now. You've probably heard a college football star hailed as the next great quarterback destined for greatness in the NFL or the Supreme Court judge will be appointed and turn the trajectory of legislation. Someone being appointed elicits feelings of hope and that maybe a season of waiting is over. The child Jesus was appointed for salvation that the Lord prepared for all peoples. He was destined for this purpose, but it wasn't going to be a road show of kingly masquerading where every knee would bow to the Messiah and accept the message of, his, of repent and believe. Some would accept him, be part of his ministry and give up their lives to follow him. But there would certainly be a divided response. Jesus's own people would reject him He'd be sneered at, spoken against, rejected. Simeon even warns Mary of his death and the grief that she would experience as she watches him die. The father knew that this would happen. He was appointed for opposition and he was appointed for the rise and fall of many in Israel. 1 Peter 2, 7 and 8. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone is stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Some in Israel would build their house on the cornerstone, who is Jesus. They would rise into a sturdy structure architected by the father, rooted in the son and sustained by the spirit, made strong by the cornerstone and able to weather the storms that would come. Some in Israel would see the stone as a stumbling block, choosing to build on a different foundation, one that would appear strong for a time, but would fall and come crashing down, unable to hold up the weight of pride and self-righteousness. Some would and will receive him and receive salvation, and many would and will reject him, putting their hope in something else. As we live today between Jesus' first coming as a baby and his return to finish what he started, we can expectantly wait as hearts are revealed. We wait for temporal comfort from the weariness and pain and suffering of this world. And we wait for eternal comfort in the presence of the Father and that will never end. Simeon's testimony is more than just a historical account. This is a matter of life and death rising and living in restored relationship with God forever or falling and living eternally separated from him. The hearts of many in Israel would be revealed then through the prophesied life and death of the savior. And the hearts of many Jews and Gentiles are revealed today through the acceptance and rejection of the gospel that is proclaimed through his word and through the mouths of those who love him. For anyone here this morning who does not know the love of the father, 
Maybe you've lived in opposition to him, satisfying the desires of your flesh, looking for joy and hope and fulfillment in other things, money, a job title, relationships. Or maybe you've flat out rejected that you need saving or that, you're, or you've, um, uh, that you've rejected the truth that one man's death, through one man's death, all may live. That your sins are paid for and there's nothing too bad, too unforgivable um, that has not already been overcome and paid for by the blood of the Savior. Salvation is not dependent on you. There is nothing that you can do that can change the love of God for his people and his desire for them to receive his salvation. There is no amount of waiting that will make you good enough. You can't be good enough. Jesus, the child's birth we celebrate on Christmas, was appointed for this. The Savior has already come. He has already lived a perfect life and he has already died on our behalf. And we're now waiting for him to come again and complete what he started. But while we live in the already but not yet, he is calling his people to himself. He wants you to experience his love and live in light of his grace and mercy, rejecting yourself and accepting him, not the other way around. While salvation is not dependent on you, it's also not automatic. A gift can be bought, wrapped beautifully, put under the tree, and on Christmas morning, handed to the person the gift was purchased for. But it has to be received. Now, I can't picture a scenario where I'd reject a gift from my wife or one of my boys on Christmas morning, but I do have that option. Maybe I'd reject the box if it was moving and I heard a little bark or something. Jesus' salvation is a gift provided by the Father, wrapped in the beauty and perfection of Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, who was born and walked among men and is presented to all people. The gift of salvation has to be accepted. It's not automatically transmitted to all people just because the gift exists. And the reality is many will reject and even oppose the gift. If you've not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, know that he wants you to accept the gift of salvation. There is nothing that you can do to create a gift such as this yourself. It's one of a kind and it's for you. Receive it with joy, turn from sin and believe in the promise. We celebrate Christ's Christ's coming at Christmas and he will come again. And when he does, he will judge all humanity and the hearts of all people will be revealed, revealed. You will be called a child of the king and brought into the kingdom of light where, he will be mu- where there will be much joy and no more sin. Or you will be called a child of darkness and cast out into eternal separation where there will be constant weeping and sorrow and pain. So as we close this morning and eagerly await the joy of Christmas day, consider what your heart is waiting for. Jesus came as a light for revelation to all people to put our waiting hearts to rest And the promise that he will come again gives us something to wait for expectantly. Simeon's testimony laid witness to the newborn king who brought the long-awaited salvation. Because Jesus came for the salvation of the world, our hearts can wait expectantly in faith and obedience because he is a light to the Gentiles who reveals hearts. Know that Jesus wasn't simply born and then simply died on a cross. From his birth, he was destined for something greater. As he died on the cross, rose again and ascended to the right hand of the father where he rules and reigns today, he finished the work that he was sent to do to take away the sins of the world. Let's pray. 
Uh, Father God, would you just calm our hearts this morning, God, to expectantly wait for whatever you have for us. God, we praise you that that is possible because Jesus came as a salvation for the world. God, this morning, we, we remember that you sent your son, Jesus. And God, that you sent him to fulfill a promise. And God, that that is such an incredible picture of your faithfulness and your love for your children. God, would you use us as we walk out these doors this morning, heading into the week before Christmas? God, would you use us to proclaim that truth and the glory and the hope that your son brings? We love you. Amen.